want winners. I want people that want to win. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Come after me. I'm a man. This week on Double Dragon, Steve and I invite an NFL analyst to talk about Game of Thrones with us. His name is Fran Duffy, and you will absolutely know him if you live in the Philadelphia area because he does analysis for the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's going to help Steve and I break down the first half season of House of the Dragon, and we will make some predictions for the second half of the season. No spoilers, I promise. And then medievalist Ian McGinnis joins us all the way from Scotland to talk about marriage alliances and castle sieges. All right, without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne and NFL analyst Fran Duffy. Now, Steve and I don't normally do video, so Steve is a little bit taken aback just to actually see what I look like. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I could go video, but I'm... Uh... I'm gross. Well, you're you're gross, but I won't use the video for the podcast, so feel free to okay. be gross. It will yeah. actually help us lean into the sports theme. If I'm gross. Yeah, yeah there's nothing like a gross guys talking about sports together. Yeah, but that's actually, they just shortened that to sports talk. <laughs> so I'm with Steve Osborne, comic from San Francisco area. Steve's been on various radio programs from time to time uh but also a, a sports fan and then i thought who better to bring on than a nfl analyst and that would be fran duffy so friends fran you are an expert on football and so i thought if you could help us understand a little bit there was a big scrum in the castle so if you were actually going to have a fight in a castle <laughs> Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone like Harwin Breakbones, who's actually trying to get to the other side of the hall? Did he run the right play in that case, or would you have gone a different direction? Well, it's funny. As you started asking the question, I was like, well, it helps to have someone named Breakbones uh, on your side if you're in a situation like yeah, that. Sure. But uh, you know, the, the saying in football is low man wins. I, I don't know if he necessarily can help uh, in that category, but uh, he certainly was able to get the job done uh, in that melee at the end of last night's or last week's episode. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, the showrunners uh, enlisted Chris Berman to help them with the naming conventions for some of their... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Night of Kisses definitely has sort of a Berman-esque uh, nickname quality to it. Yeah, he's a kicker, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, I would, I'd love to have uh, your take, Fran, on the season so far. Um, just to remind folks, we have a rating system for Double Dragon. That, that The Dorn is not a good episode. Danny is a decent episode. And a Dinklage is a very strong episode. So where would you rank, you know, through five episodes, where would you rank this season? 
I mean, it's definitely leaning more towards Dinklage than Danny. Um, I would, I can't go full Dinklage for the entire season mm. just because there have been some things, uh, some elements of the storytelling, uh, you know, especially when it came to like the crab feeder and, and, that, and that that element of uh, the battle strategy, mm-hmm. uh, especially looking at it from, a, from an X's and O's standpoint. There are things where I'm sitting there <laughs> watching. I'm like, I, I don't know exactly uh, what the thought process here. Why can't they get this done uh, in the manner that they need? The but crab I feeder think was you- a bit like a high draft pick that kind of didn't pan out. In my mind, yeah, right. he had a lot of potential. <laughs> he made the sleepers list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, to me, like I think at the end of the day, it, five episodes in, uh, this has been really strong. Maybe stronger than I could have even hoped for. Uh, I was really excited. I think we had kind of reached that point. Um, and it was funny just kind of listening to you guys recap, uh, Steve, your first viewing of the original series and the kind of leading that into this series. It's, it was really kind of like, okay, I feel good about getting back into this universe now after uh, how the last one ended. And so um, th- this the, the first five episodes have been more than I could have even hoped. I'm really, really excited for the back five. So you're going to say a Dinklage, but not properly Dinklage. It sounds like you're a little bit like Dinklage minus one, Dinklage minus two. Yep. All right. I think that's fair. I, I, I would say like maybe a, a Dinklage minus two. I, I think it's kind of, it's pretty fair. Um, you know, I think just the uh, the crab feeder element uh, and just some of the other like little quirks here and there um, that have bothered me a little bit. Room but for overall, improvement, I mean, it, for sure. Yeah, room for improvement, but still, I mean, a- outstanding. And that's the thing is, uh, I think you guys said it best in talking about uh, the the original series that you were kind of a prisoner to those first five six seasons, right? The, the expectations right. were so so high. You know, trying to hold this show to the, the, that standard is still a, a difficult task, right? But to me, uh, coming off at just straight face value, you have to be happy with how the first five episodes have gone. All right, how about you, Steve? Uh, you're going to give this a, a high Danny? I'm guessing you're going to give it a high Danny. I'm, I'm giving it a high Danny, but I am flirting with, I mean, I, I could be swayed to the, the Dinklage minus two because I do feel really good about this show. And I, and it's and it's interesting what you said, uh, a friend, about how, like, you know, the, you, the first five uh, seasons are kind of what you kind of like five to six, but you hold hold the height of Game of Thrones. And in a way, I almost wonder now, now that we've had some time to really you know separate ourselves from from the original series. Did is House of the Dragon maybe benefiting from the dip at the end? Whereas if let's say mm. let's say Game of Thrones finished just it hit all of our expectations and blew our minds, man. That's a whole other expectation, right? With with House of the Dragon, because I mean, this that would be that Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, because I and Anthony and I've talked about like I I was very reticent to go to the Better Call Saul universe just because I'm like ah, I don't want anything to even sort of mar my experience there. Whereas here, the experience is a little marred, and so you have maybe the, people have a little bit of hope for redemption. So that that sort of gives people maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. of a, of an in to have uh, maybe an open mind. Um, so yeah, it, I bet yeah, I definitely think it's a it's a it's a high Danny flirting with a low Dinklage, um, which does make me nervous, right? I mean, it's like because you do have that like, well, is is is, is are the wheels going to fall off this thing? Or are we going to keep riding this this up? Because if if they can sustain this, because this is where I get this is where I think it's really going to come down to is this time jump is going to be the time jump, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is at least I mean there may be more, but this is the big one. We kind of knew it was coming, so the the. The challenge here is, as Anthony and I have talked about, we've really grown to to appreciate and and enjoy these these young actresses, and mm-hmm. to not have them anymore 
is going to be a bit jarring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that that there is a baked in. I we already are disappointed without knowing if we're going to be disappointed long term or just just by virtue of of losing somebody. Mm. This is a little bit like you know when you've got a quarterback in the wings. You got that quarterback that you know is the quarterback of the future, right? You've got these these actors in the wings. You know, you know you're going to bring in Darcy. And yet, man, you just you just fallen in love with that that you know that franchise player. You know, you're not really ready to give up Montana yet. You know, you know, Young has got potential. But uh, yeah, th- th- thanks for not making this a Lance Garoppolo thing because at this point, <laughs> we know that these actresses have accomplished something. So it isn't like we're like I mean, we're not basking in potential <laughs> and hope. We know, uh, you know, I mean, sh- you know, Shanahan didn't run uh, these actresses into the ground. They, they were actually producing. <laughs> and I also want to give uh, the young actresses a little bit more credit than Jimmy Garoppolo, which, look, it took him to a Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, there's a cap ceiling there, I think, when you look at, uh, you know, his effect on that team. But I, I think ultimately uh, the, those two did an outstanding job. I'm excited, though, for the second half uh, to see what, what Darcy uh, and, and the rest of the, the new actresses. Bring. OK, good. Let's translate. But, yeah, let's rate Garoppolo. I think I mean he's probably a dorm plus two. I mean I he's 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 properly Danny um, when he's when he's managing a game. But I mean you get him when the, when the lights get bright. He, he's he's a dorm. Uh, I will tr- uh, transfer to the second half of the season. Now I will mention because I know people care about this. Um, we will not traffic and spoilers in any of this, but we will be making predictions just based on what we've seen on screen. All so right. our predictions could be spoilers, but that's not our fault. And just, yeah, that's right. And it's not your fault because, uh, Steve, if I understand it correctly, you've not read Fire and Blood. And Fran, you have not read Fire and Blood. I, I don't read. I barely <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I've asked both of you to do is come up with a power ranking of the, the folks who have potential to wield power in Westeros and I'm just going to ask for your top five in the power ranking. And of course, you know, this is not necessarily who's going to sit on the Iron Throne. This is about who's going to hold the power. And as we know, you know, sometimes the person who's the most powerful in the kingdom is actually not sitting on the throne. So uh, you, you know the characters involved. And so why don't we start with you, Steve? Do you have a power ranking? For yeah, the do we want to do this five, season? five to one? We want to do our five to ones here. We are we love doing, it. So do we want to each do our five, or do we want to go around the table and go fifth and then fourth and then you know? Fifth? I mean, I, I know I'm producing on the fly. Uh, <laughs> Let, let's just hear your five. So here, my five. Yeah, my let's here. I'm asking for five <laughs> names. Damn it! Is this hard? Just five names. See, this is not sports talk unless we actually start yelling at each other at some point. <laughs> you idiot! Um, all right, and it's also not sports talk if it's if it's not planned in advance. Um, all right, so we're going top five. Um, I'm actually going to put I'm going to put uh, Rhaenyra in my five spot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so this is your this is the of the five. This is the least. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, shocker. Yeah. It's I a mean, shocker. 
It's well, this it, it's it's hot takes. It's it's hot take Friday here at the Double Dragon podcast. Uh, no, I'm putting I'm putting Renera at the five. I mean, I definitely think she's a power player. Obviously, I mean, she's on the cover, but I feel like that might be. Uh, I mean, we're talking we're talking for the rest of this season. Yeah, we that's right. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. So I'm for the rest of this season. This is kind of how I'm putting it. I, I we're gonna see her. Uh, I'm I'm predicting you know she'll be thrust into the into throndom and that's gonna be a lot right I mean we're gonna have a time jump but uh, I still think that there's there's gonna be a lot that she's gonna have to to navigate and I think the lack of agency uh, will really come uh, come to fruition here and I think it's gonna be something that's gonna gonna bump her down a bit. Wow. Okay. I thought she'd be higher. I will wait to hear well, your... you. You do your list. I'll do mine. Look, I I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts on your list. I, I I'm really <laughs> curious to hear how you justify putting four characters above Rhaenyra. So let's hear it. Uh, I'm gonna put Alicent ahead of uh, of, of Rhaenyra at this point. At this point, I think I think what we saw uh, in the last episode, um, Alicent has uh, ha- is starting to come into her own. She's making some uh, some deliberate moves. Yeah. Um, and I think she is just just by virtue of, and we'll get to we'll get to uh, her father in a moment. Uh, but I think by virtue of having Otto uh, on her side, and, and I think that's going to make a difference. So I think that's going to be, and she can, and she's got some inside, you know, she's inside the in, in the walls, so to speak. Ah, all right. Uh, so I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put Damon in the three spot. Hmm. Um, I think I think Damon. As a chaos agent, I think he almost has a power by default, whether or not it's true political power in terms of power to influence, in terms of power to disrupt. I, I mean, outside of Damon getting eaten by a dragon, uh, I don't see how that's going away anytime soon. Um, number two, uh, I am going to... Uh, this might be even more of uh, a surprise. I'm going to put uh, uh, Laris. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna put Larry. It. You're gonna put Larry yeah. pretty it. high, huh? Uh, putting Larry in the two spot because, like Damon, I think that there's, you know, and again, maybe maybe it's about about how we're we're defining this power, but I think I think his influence is going to be. I think we've, we're going to see this is not the <laughs> the last of the influence I think we've seen, especially for this season. I think I think he inserted himself at the end of this time jump. Uh, I think it was intentional. I think we're going to see more of that uh, of his machinations. Don't you feel like we forward. have a bit of a small sample size with Larry? I mean, we I mean, he killed it in that one scene. That's a lot to infer from that one scene. Uh, I think that scene was put there at that time. What 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 did that scene do for the rest of that episode? Well, you're right. It, it had quite an impact for sure. And again, I'm talking about I'm talking about. Uh, uh, power and in, in not not the like you said not throne uh, sitting power, but we're talking about kingdom power and we're talking the rest of the ep- uh, the rest of the season. So I'm going to go with that, and I'm actually going to put Otto in the number one spot. Wow, wow! I think I think I think Otto is uh, is he's got he's got the ambition. I think he's got the uh, he's got the the planning. Now that he's got Allison on his side, I think I think he's he's a dangerous man. So you're thinking like puppeteer behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. All right. All right, Fran. I, I'd be curious to see if you have any overlap here with Steve. So I do have some overlap. And I also had uh, Rhaenyra at, at number five. 
Um, you know, and my big thing, the way I kind of looked at this wow. was uh, in my, you know, pure NFL draft analysis standpoint, I was like, all right, like, what are the <laughs> traits that are required in order to, uh-huh. to, you know, gain power, you know, in this universe? And, um, you know, you, obviously it's, you know, the, the strength, like the physical power that you present, uh, your social standing, and then your social cunning, like your ability mm. to, uh, you know, be able to navigate these political waters. And so um, when I look at Rhaenyra, Obviously, she's gonna she's gonna have power, and she has that social standing. But I don't know that she has, um, you know, the the acuteness that is gonna be needed to uh, be able to navigate all this. She either has like deferred away from having those conversations, or just hasn't done well in mm. the and has been so quick to cut people off. Um, I go back to like the that the episode, the third episode uh, in the tent. You know, when she's meeting with uh, all of the other uh, the the ladies, uh, you know, in that tent, and she quickly kind of shut people down and you can kind of see that yeah like she knows that she's got power and she's got standing but uh wasn't willing to be yeah it's almost like she doesn't have a taste for the political game right no and, and I think that's uh, very similar to uh, to Damon in that respect. And like, uh, that's the thing is like I have I went back and forth with her and Damon as five four, and that's why I actually have Damon uh, at four. He I, he's physically strong as well, and obviously he's battle tested. Um, but what I love about Damon is we never know what he's actually thinking. So many of his best scenes, he hasn't said a word, and there's been so much ambiguity uh, with so many of his actions and trying to just you know define his motivations. It's been really really hard, um, almost on. A weekly basis and uh i it's funny though i don't know that anybody actually likes him like the only person mm-hmm. that I feel like actually like likes him in this universe outside of his brother oh uh, yeah you know, likes i him think for obviously sure, rhaenyra right? offers that as well mm-hmm. um you know it seems it certainly seems that way at the end of last episode but i think when you look at uh the way that he has interacted with everybody else in this universe I'm not sure that anybody else looks at him as like we want him on our side. He's more of a necessary evil. Sure. Uh, and you know, at that, at what point will that necessary evil be seen? Okay, we let's let, it's time to cast him aside. Okay. Uh, and so I am fascinated to see what his long term future is. So he's kind of like a Christian. He's like a Christian McCaffrey, right? Like he could easily go one, but I mean, can you trust him, right? You know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like at some point, like he is the like the ticking time bomb. And but that, but as a viewer. We're watching this saying like I don't I don't know what to think because like I said there's been so much uh, ambiguity with him uh-huh. at one point I think early in the season I thought you know they're they're going to go Jamie Lannister arc with him and they're going to make us hate him early and then they're going to have him have us like him the last couple of episodes have made me think like we're we're not going to actually like this character right. he's still I'm still enthralled with him um, but I don't know that we're actually going to say like oh yeah like he's actually a good guy I don't know that we're going to be viewing him that way. Well, how, what could you do with the character in five seasons? But I, I guess we're just we're just looking at this first season at this point. Yeah. All right. So your number three would be. So my number three is actually Corliss, uh, and I think when you know you look at this is a guy that um, number one he's willing to to make tough decisions. Uh, he's put himself into a position of power. He already has established strength both with his navy and having half the uh, the, the 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 realms dragons. Um, so when you look at the way that he is set already coming into the start of the series, yeah. I feel good about it. And he has only made himself stronger. Um, now we'll see what the the fall fallout is from uh from this wedding and i'm fascinated to see what the fallout is from this wedding uh how will he and and his son uh take exactly what happened uh, with uh with joffrey being pummeled to death by Kristen? yeah what is the fallout but um to me corliss is someone that has shown uh that he can i think that he can play the game 
um, you know, off the field and then on the battlefield uh, has that as well. So I think he presents uh, a really interesting combination of skills from that standpoint. So I'm just going to pause this and I'm going to make an observation. You both have put pretty low on your list the folks that actually have dragons. And I think that that probably tells us something about this show. The, the dragons are an afterthought on this show. I don't even know if the showrunners know what to do with the dragons. It's absolutely politically driven. And I think that your lists so far have shown that you value what the showrunners value. And that is, if you have a political strategy and if you have political capital, that absolutely has currency in this world. Whereas I think in the first series, it was like, well, Danny's got dragon. She's going to, she's going to kick ass. I don't know. This is just an observation. I wonder if part of that uh, is that, you know, in the, in the original series, there were no dragons when the show started here that we know dragons are going away at some point, you know? So it's almost like, yeah, like the dragons are there. They're helping them right now. Uh, um, but there's going to be, uh, they're, they're going to cancel each other out at some point. I, I am fascinated to see where like the battle lines are drawn because I feel like there are going to be so many, um, there's so many mixed relationships, you know, at this point, uh, where do the Valerians end up on which side? Uh, and again, I have not, I have not done any of the reading here. I've been staying away from, uh, anything spoiler. I don't even right. watch like the, the look, you know, next week, uh, in the post credit, um, yeah, you know, I've been staying away from all of that, so I'm fascinated to see uh, on what side of the the ledger uh, the, the the Strongs fall. On what side of the ledger do the Valerians fall? Do those families within themselves get split? Uh -huh. you know, I I don't know. Like, uh, is Larry working at the behest of his father when he's making this relationship with Allison, or is he working on his own? Right. Um, you know, we saw already the the Valerians during that battle in the Stepstones. Uh, there were some fissures in that family, right? Like they you had like I don't know if that was Corliss's brother or his cousin. Uh, you know, there was there, there were some friction there so are they are, is there going to be a split in that family as well uh, i i'm fascinated to see just exactly because i think they're setting it up to say okay it's gonna be rhaenyra versus allison uh -huh. but if it's just all the dragons versus the high towers right. that battle doesn't make any sense to me uh so i i think there's going to be dragons on that side it's just a matter of where they come from so steve because well, my my take on this is that um all the people that I mentioned that I think are in are in a higher power position is because they know that the dragons can take out the other dragons. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be, and I I think that's where we're headed, right? I mean, uh, the only thing that can beat the Targaryens is the Targaryens, and it's just a matter of how do you manipulate mm -hmm. that? What side of what's what side is that? And that's where I think I put Rhaenyra down a little bit lower because if she doesn't see that coming, then then she could be she could be a pawn in that same game, and we're Damon just a little bit higher because I think he might be able to react a little. Okay, a little, uh, interesting. Quicker. Yeah, that's very interesting. So it's almost like the dragons cancel each other out. And so then what do you have besides dragons? You've got to have savvy. You've got to have capital, right? If the Targaryens were unified and it was all dragons on one side, we would I don't think we would have ever had uh, Game of Thrones. Well, I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, Viserys does not have a dragon and Daemon does. But when Viserys walks into that party, Viserys has all the power. You know, there's no dragon in the room. All you got to do is take the take your brother out, and then no no problem with the dragon because the dragon's a non-issue. Well, have you ever been like at a bar or a pub, and like there may be a lot of people like like kind of like alpha males jockeying for position, but then like just one gross guy walks into the room. No, I I'd never experienced that because I'm usually the gross guy. <laughs> well, then you would know why is it everybody seems to be retreating from me? Why is it that I get to go to the bar and seem to have all this attention by myself? <laughs> 
there's there is a power that is wielded from no one wanting to touch you or mm. be near you. I'm I'm finally understanding for the first time my entire life uh, from the, <laughs> from this perspective. A little bit of scab goes a long way. <laughs> okay, Fran, your top two. Uh, my top two. Um, so I actually went uh, with with Larry. I, I went with Laris as well at number two. Wow. And to me, I kind of look at it. Uh, first of all, I love the fact that his name is Littlefinger and Varys put together. Um, and I, <laughs> if, like, so there's that element of it. Uh-huh. But also, if we were if we were able to see. Littlefinger 10 years prior, you know, maybe we would have only seen one scene, mm. you know, lurking in the shadows, you know, by himself, uh, kind of poking and prodding. Um, but, you know, 10 years later, he becomes, you know, he becomes Littlefinger. Uh, I kind of think that's what they were teasing there uh, with with Laris in the garden. Uh, we saw him previously a couple episodes okay. earlier and just kind of setting the tone for what he was going to be. He's got his father who has played all of his cards correctly right. uh, from from our vantage point so far. Uh, and obviously a brother. Uh, we don't know all the, the dynamics of that relationship, but uh, Harwin Breakbones, uh, an early fan favorite just in limited screen time um, with what he's done. So I, to me, I think... Uh, I'm going to put Laris in there yeah. as more of a, a, a puppet master. Number one, I put Allison, and wow. from the, the and the reason I put Allison in there, I to me the the transformation that she underwent just in this one episode, the development we saw for her in episode five. Um, you know, the the only question I have with her right now is when push comes to shove, like is she going to be willing to make that really tough decision? Is she going to be willing to to you know put aside? Her friendship, lifelong friendship with with Rhaenyra. Um, it seems that way, but we just we haven't seen it. But I think when you have Otto behind her, and then the, the other ace in the hole is is young Aegon, mm-hmm. is ha- having having him uh, where it seems like most of the realm they're they're pointing to the fact that yeah, most of the realm is going to rally behind Aegon, yeah. uh, the namesake of the Conqueror, and you know, all of the all, everything that goes with him. Uh, I think that that gives her so much strength. Uh, I just from a military standpoint where does that strength come from and i'm fascinated just to see again uh where that where that does happen to uh, uh to come from here in this debate but to me um i, I put allison at number one uh, i i think that she's in the catbird seat coming out of episode five yeah and that that's a really i i i, I like that and that's kind of think where i went with Otto. but you know that's the sort of combined there and i think the other yep. thing to consider too with allison and why she's in a strong position is let, let don't sleep on sir Kristen cole that's that's yeah. another that's another uh like we talk about someone who has you know force and someone who has motivation and someone who could potentially be very loyal and, and manipulative i mean that's another that's another piece that she does have so yeah and anthony i said this to you like the first thing that popped in my mind when uh you know at the at the wedding feast when she comes in uh wearing the green dress and everyone kind of stops and you can kind of there's the, the tone felt to me like my mind went to sansa after mm, mm. uh after uh, liza aaron uh was killed in the veil after Littlefinger kills liza aaron um it said like okay this is this is a a huge development point this is a turning point for this character um this is a new version of allison yeah this last uh, episode did a lot to just put a bunch of capital right on her side of the field right yep well there's that like i like the sansa uh comparison but then also there's there's shades of cersei there too right i mean in terms of the loyalty to the and whatever it takes to protect my child kind of a concept Mm. and so you wonder like it does she have but then that's a question i think that you you pose is does she have the capability to go to that next level how how far is she willing to go to uh for those with those Mm. motivations Mm. and i think i think that just makes her that much more intriguing Mm. and it does and it potentially dangerous right i mean there is there is that and but the question in this world is like dangerous to whom and what's 
for the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, this brings us right to my number five. We're out of time, though. But hey, thank you so much, uh, <laughs> Sam, for being I, with us today. But no, I, and it's fine. You know what? You just we'll put it up on social media. We don't have uh, Instagram yet, but we'll get one. Is it the scabs? Is it? Is that what it is? <laughs> it was the scabs. You're the <laughs> This is why we do this on Zoom. <laughs> so I, I, my list looks very different than both of yours. Uh, number five for me is Aegon. And mm. it's a little bit like drafting Brawny James. It's a little bit like, you, you, you know, it's not like Brawny would go number one, but he might go number five because that might bring LeBron to your city, right? So maybe Brawny has that. Has that sway. So anyway, I'm going Aegon. I think that we're going to level up in the next episode. We're going to actually see a young Aegon. And for all of the reasons that you were saying Alicent has has potential, I think that Aegon is nothing but potential. And uh that that guy that guy might get a, get himself a dragon. And that that's the potential that he has that other players may not have. Allison is not so, going to yeah. get a dragon. Otto is not going to get a dragon. Aegon might, and that might. Yeah, but she would. But she might be. She's a uh, has a, a, a dragon in law because she's the mom. It's true. It's it's true. All right. So second on my list is Damon. For all the reasons that you mentioned, he's not higher. He's chaos. He's absolute chaos. So unless you can kind of figure out how to bridle that chaos, um, and kind of point him in the right direction. You can't really trust him, and I, I kind of feel like, of course, he is he has the most potential, he has a high ceiling, and yet you kind of are just waiting for him to implode. Um, he's Carson Wentz. He's, yes, right, there you go. Um, sec- uh, third on my list is Alicent, and I, I think this is high for her, and I just want to mention again, she's got, on, on her side, she's got Kristen Cole, she's got Otto behind the scenes, and potentially Laris. It could be that if he's offering an alliance to her and she realizes what she has in him, that that could be a, a, a really great asset for her. All right. Now, I'm going to put a guy on the list that hasn't been on any list yet. And I'm going to put Whoa. him number two. And that is Lionel Strong. All right. And here's why. This guy, I don't think anyone's playing the Game of Thrones better than this guy. Yep. This guy has not overplayed his hand. He's been playing the long game. There was a nod he gave to Harwin right before Harwin kicks ass in that ballroom. When he gives the nod to Harwin, that tells me who has the power in this family. It's Lionel. And it makes me think, oh, this this family is really tight-knit. I feel like now, that doesn't just tell me about Harwin. It also tells me that Lionel probably has that same authority over Laris. Yeah. So if you give Lionel those two boys, and now he's connected in some way to Alicent, uh, I think I, I think that's that's the real maybe power behind the throne, right? So, so I'm gonna he's going full two. full Palpatine, carrying yes. both sides of this. Okay, that's got right. It. Yes, exactly. And then I'm I'm going to put Rhaenyra number one. Wow. Uh, wow. And the reason why is you know of course she has. She has that fu attitude that you you like to see, and she's got a dragon, and I think she's politically smart. I think in her youth she didn't care about politics. I think that when we see her level up, 
we're going to see a more mature version of Rhaenyra. And I think that's going to make all the difference. So I, I've got her at the top of my power ranking. And I think it's important that the person at the top has access to a dragon. Just because I think at some point they're going to want to do a spectacle on screen. And that's going to involve some sort of battle with a dragon. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. All right, so let's go down our just real quick. All right, so my top is Renera, then Lionel, then Allison, then Damon, then Aegon. Fran, could you recap yours? Yeah, so from top to bottom, I went uh, Allison, Corliss, uh, or no, it went uh, Allison, Laris, Corliss, uh, Damon, Rhaenyra. Okay, and Steve? Yeah, my, and my number one, I had Otto. Uh, you um, feel bad about that now? You want to change it now? No, okay. I, I I give Otto I give Otto a lot of credit. Okay. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I still because I still think as powerful as as Allison may be, I still think that he he wields. Uh, a little more power just by virtue of being the father and having a little more influence. So I think, I think, I think the whole, for me, this whole thing has been agency and maybe perceived mm. agency. And so I, I think that, that Otto actually being a little more removed gives him even more ability to, to manipulate things because now the appearances aren't so much a, a factor as the hand. That's just my thought. Right. So I put Otto still there. Um, and then number two, I had I had, I had Larry and Larry Boy, uh, Larry the Cucumber. Um, <laughs> then it was Allison. Then it was uh, Damon. Then it was uh, Rhaenyra. Yeah, all right. This, uh, these lists are very different. I thought we may have a lot of overlap, but these are considerably different takes on the show. All right. Finally, 
I want to hear your MVP. Now, I, here we'll do this in two two stages here. I want to hear your MVP of the season so far. Yep. And then I'd like to hear who, who do you think has the most potential to be MVP at the end of the season. So let's start with you, friend. Uh, my MVP through the first uh, through the first five episodes is Viserys. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, you know, Patty Constantine was. We just saw he was awesome in the role. We saw so much range. It was such a wild ride, a, a, a wild uh, variance of emotions yeah. with him uh, through five episodes. And early on, it was just fascinating to see a, a good-hearted king in this universe because right. we didn't have that. But we also know that nobility and kindliness uh, typically does not get you far in this world. Right. So you knew uh, it was not going to end well. Um, very similar to like a, a Ned Stark. I feel like his death is going to have kind of a house of cards effect on all the other pieces on the board. Huh. Um, you know, he was very much the, the interconnected tissue uh, between everybody else that's involved in the story. And so uh, I'm assuming, and again, we'll, we'll wait to see. I, I know you're, uh, you don't want to say uh, Anthony, exactly what happens with him at the end of this episode. Um, I'm assuming that we, that he is no more uh, 10 years from now, but I'm fascinated to see, okay, when you remove him from the equation, how does that impact everybody else around yeah, Every him? indication he, on screen is this guy is not going to be around for very long. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, Otto said that best uh, with his conversation with, uh, right. with Allison as, as he was leaving. Was, yeah. At some point, it's going to happen, uh, likely sooner rather than later, based off what we saw. But um, to me, if we're just going just off the first five, uh, I would say Viserys is, uh-huh. is my MVP. All right. I'm going to go next. We'll give Steve the privilege of going last. I'm going to say Damon. I feel like in just for the first five episodes, no one steals a scene like Damon. It's like I care about everyone. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in almost every character. That, that says a lot. You know, this is an ensemble cast. To say that I'm interested in every character says a lot. But there's no character that when he walks on the scene, onto the scene, you know he's going to steal a scene. And he does it every time so i think it's probably him mvp for the first five i think over the next five probably allison probably allison yep um all right so so uh go ahead Steve. so i mean i i i both of you made great points i'm st- i'm gonna i'm sticking with fran on this one i think viserys uh, is my mvp uh, I, I agree that uh, I don't think anybody does more to disrupt and draw attention quite like uh, Damon does. Um, but in terms of just, uh, for me, watching uh, Patty Considine's performance is, is, I just can't get enough of it, right? I mean, I love when Damon comes in, but at the same time, I also watched him run uh, towards a crab feeder for like no real good reason. And so that, that I, got, I got to drop him a notch on that one. Um, I feel like there's not a wasted moment with, uh, with Viserys. I feel uh-huh. like there's, it's, it's, it's going to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to miss that character. I'm going to miss that performance quite a bit. And yeah. so that's why I think for the rest, I'll, I'll, I'll bump Damon up. I think, you know, body of work in the first five, I think with the next five, I think he's got, he's got the opportunity to, to run away with the, the season long MVP uh-huh. because it's just one of those things where like, if, hey, if, if Derek Henry doesn't blow out his knee, who knows what happens? Like it's all these, you know, this Viserys, if he could have just stayed healthy for the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a little bit like Ned Stark in that, like you can't, the the first season of Game of Thrones does not work with that uh, without Ned Stark, and his death has such an impact. It's like his death yep. is this black hole, and everything is going to be or reoriented around that force of gravity. Um, so I think that to get us to care as much as we do about Viserys five episodes in is quite a narrative feat. 
Um, and I, and I, honestly, I, I do care to see what happens, uh, you know, around that black hole once he's gone. I, I think he might be the kind of character like Ned Stark that we continue to talk about long after his death. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Steve, did you give us the MVP for the rest of the season? Yeah, it was Damon. Damon. Ooh, t- say more about that. Well, I just think that, again, like the work that he did, and because I was I was between the two of them, um, and and then I figured, well, one of them's going to still be around, so he's got a a good chance to to he'll he'll I think he's he's here to to disrupt as as much as possible, and I'm really I think it's going to be really interesting to watch him with the absence of Viserys, right? right. So Viserys sort of kept Viserys sort of kept him, you know actually literally alive in many cases right yeah and he has he has Renera on the throne and they have a special relationship but that relationship is complicated in a very targaryen way uh-huh. so i think i think that adds like he has he has a sway over his brother just by virtue of their uh of them being brothers but his sway with Renera is different and it and it is much more of a dance it feels like between the two of them so i think as we head into the dance of the dragons those two i think uh, occupy a lot of uh, a lot of space in that in that regard so yeah so what what does damon look like once he his brother's not holding him in check yep i mean it's not, his brother's not holding him in check all that much but he always defers to his brother in the end and you you, right. could, you could credit damon also for Sort of always define his brother, but they're always playing this little game with each other. When Damon no longer has a partner to play that game with, what kind of chaos monster does he become? So that that's an interesting uh, read on him for sure. Well, because also because he because he does have a relationship with Renera, but uh, but not not when she's the with the queen, right? Like as as a princess yeah, or yeah. you know a child, and so like the power dynamic is has shifted in the same way that the brother's power dynamic has shifted because of Viserys is like, well, he's on the throne, even though he was, you know, the mom always liked you best mentality. But, uh, but with Rhaenyra, like she, she, she will wield that power different than uh, Viserys, especially in their relationship, which may create a different type of chaos monster. My goodness. All right. Hot take. I've asked you all for a one, for one hot take and I've asked you to be bold. So this is hot take Friday. Uh, Steve, what is your hot take? So I had a couple of hot takes, but I want like I think the hot take that I I, I was hoping for was that that uh, uh, Otto would be the the one that we see as being the it comes out this thing pretty victorious. I, that's why I stick with my number one as as Otto. Right. I think I think Otto is going. To, I think when this season is over, Otto is going to be a, a much a much bigger uh, part of this of this equation. All right, so hot, so Otto as puppeteer is your hot take. I think that's a good hot take uh, because I would have never come up with it, and yet it seems very plausible given the the, the, the show's investment in him so far. Um, okay, Fran, your hot take. So you uh, you kind of alluded to this with your your top five in your power rankings, uh, Anthony, and that uh, and it, maybe it's not like super super hot. It's just that we have not seen this character yet. But uh, that just that Aegon was the last one standing mm. uh, amongst everybody, uh, and that was. Um, but after talking it through, maybe it's not like a a dragon fire hot enough take. Um, you know, maybe it's something like uh, Viserys doesn't die and he just becomes like the next crab feeder because of his skin just gradually falling <laughs> off. But uh, I, to, to me, like I. 
looking at looking at Aegon and just how he is set up. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm fascinated to see the character. I obviously we're, we're aware of uh, of the actor who's playing him. Yeah, I'm yeah. fascinated to see him in this role. Um, but to me, uh, right. what he could be, a, he, it's just it's such a wild card. So uh, and not knowing anything exactly about exactly, it, he's fun. a wild card because what if he comes out the gate like Tommen, and so it's like yeah. now Alicent has all the power. Or he could come out the gate like Joffrey, and then it's like doesn't matter what Allison says at all. Joffrey's going to be Joffrey. So yep. yeah, you're right. He's like all potential at this point. You know, you're, I'm all, you scroll through like social media, and like I, the the algorithm has me pegged, and I see like a graphic that's like, oh, this is how you get from Rhaenyra to to Daenerys. I'm like, nope, so scroll through it. Don't want this. Don't want this. I don't want to see anything. Uh, so I don't want to see exactly how Aegon is going to pan out. But uh, fascinated to uh, to see it all play out. Okay, here's my hot take. My hot take is that Bran Stark is watching this whole thing through the weirwood tree. <laughs> <laughs> Bran Stark's watching the whole thing through the weirwood tree. He's going to start meddling. He's going to start meddling because that's exactly what the weirwood tree is there for. That's why you keep doing that zoom in shot on the weirwood tree. We know that Bran Stark's watching through those eyeballs. Uh, this is absolutely going to connect to the, the the way that Game of Thrones ends, and the show will then plummet. Uh, <laughs> because this whole thing was a way to retcon and say, look, I, we're going to tell you why this was a good move. We're going to finally get why Bran, which should have been interesting to us all along. Um, this The second half of the season is going to be all about Bran Starks creepily gazing through the weirwood tree eyes. So instead of this being uh, the better call Saul to Breaking Bad, <laughs> yeah. this is the three's a crowd to three's company. <laughs> Very good. Yes, absolutely. Um, and Laris will trip over a couch at some point. That's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> They do just start referring to him as Larry because he's actually played by Larry from Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> All Jonathan right. Taylor Thomas is, is plays a dominant character. I would love to see Jonathan Ta Taylor Thomas as the Aegon role, by the way, like eventually. All right, Steve, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can you can follow me on Instagram at Ozfest A U S F E S T for all of my uh, photographic going ons and uh, maybe maybe you'll see a clip of me at a Corey Feldman concert. Who knows? Ooh, don't tease us if it's not true. Oh, there's plenty. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, Fran, where can people follow you? Sure. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at EaglesXOs. That's where I do all of my uh, like football analysis stuff. I host a couple of podcasts uh, just covering the NFL, NFL draft, uh, the Journey to the Draft podcast, and the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So uh, mostly, I would say like 98% football mm -hmm. over on that feed, but uh, I will dabble in uh, in what I'm watching on TV every, time, every once in a while as well. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, you jumping on here. I'm, I'm, I'm really, given what you've said, I will now be watching this show through your predictions. And maybe we, we get back together at the end of the season and, and see who has to eat crow. Yeah, we, are we going to have any kind of like, you know, the, instead of having like a trophy for the winner, is there some sort of like feat of shame for the loser? Mm, that's good. Let's all think about it, what a good feat of shame would be. I think for Fran, he's going to have to wear a New York Giants jacket or hat or something. <laughs> I'm just I'm stuck on you saying eating crow because obviously that carries a lot more weight in, the, mm -hmm. in this show that we're talking about. <laughs> Okay, this is a question from Foxy Crone Forty Two. Did marriage pacts between political rivals actually work? In other words, 
did the men in charge actually honor these packs? And one, uh, oh, and what would happen to the wives when the men went to war anyway? Yeah, so I think that there's kind of two two parts to that question. So in regards to the first point, I think uh, marriages were often a means of arranging alliances, of making new agreements between families, and indeed of, of sealing peace agreements between formerly warring kingdoms. So hmm. again, the example of England and Scotland, uh, David, he's the heir to Robert I, is married off to Joan of the Tower, the, the, the younger sister of, uh, of, of uh, Edward III. Uh, and they're married at a very young age, and they're, they're, they're like six and nine or something. Oh, uh, really? They're married. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's very much a political match, and, and that's all it is. Uh, wow. But, but their rather unhappy marriage uh, over, over the decades that follow, I think, show that this is... It was a political match, and it doesn't work out. Certainly, doesn't produce offspring. Um, so, so it didn't work in that sense. But yes, David and his his various mistresses probably didn't help contribute to that. Although, of course, David was also spent various time uh, away from Scotland anyway. Hmm. Um, but you, you do you do also have examples of because a, a lot of these young uh, these women were often young women, and at various times they would be married to older men. And so you do have some examples where, where they have multiple marriages and you have to assume also quite unhappy marriages as they are young women married off to older men who then die. And so they're married off to another older man who dies. You know, that, and that now, when you say multiple marriages, you don't mean simultaneously. No, 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 of course. Um, but but, but if, if you're a young heiress um, who, has, who comes with a parcel of territory uh, because you are, you are your father's only heir, uh, then you are a prize, uh, and yeah. you may well be married off to other important men, especially by by kings who are looking to to solidify, you know, the 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 uh, and reward those around them. Um, then then yes, you'll marry you'll marry them off to to one of those friends of the king. But but if they if they get killed in battle or if they are older anyway and and die a few years later, then these 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 women end up then in a succession of marriages yes not at the same time but um but but a succession of what you have to assume are rather unhappy marriages in, in regards to the, the second part of the question though in terms of what women do when their husbands are away i think that's that's quite an interesting question which has has different answers again it rather depends on the women involved um, so you do have some women who go on campaign with their husbands. So Eleanor of Aquitaine, for example, joins her husband, Louis the yeah. of France, on the Second Crusade. Um, Mary of Gelders, the Queen of Scotland, joins James II at the Siege of Roxburgh and indeed apparently uh, successfully ends the siege uh, when he's killed uh, by his, one of his own cannons exploding uh, as oh, the no. siege goes on. Oh, no. <laughs> But, but there are other examples of women who remain at home, but who find themselves in a military situation anyway because the, the, the castles that they are in are besieged. Um, so there's the example of Nicolette de la Haye, uh, who's the daughter of the constable at Lincoln Castle. Uh, during the, the period of rebellion against King John, she leads the defense of Lincoln against English forces who supported Prince Louis of France. Uh, Eleanor, the Countess of Leicester, during the Barons' War in the 13th century in England, leads the defence of of, uh, of Dover uh, and and goes into exile after she negotiates its surrender. And again, the Scottish Wars of Independence seems to be full of examples of mm. of noble women who are besieged and who lead the siege. So Agnes Randolph, the Countess of Dunbar, uh, leads the siege of Dunbar Castle. Christina Bruce. Uh, holds out at Kildrummy when she's uh, besieged by by Anglo-Scottish forces. That that seems to happen relatively commonly. 
Really, um, huh. and it's it, it's it's that interesting position then of the, the noblewoman uh, and the power, and also you know the 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 rights that are invested in her in terms of the defence of the castle. She she has responsibility in normal times for the household, for for feeding uh, the, the the those within, and those types of responsibilities also translate into wartime as well. And so it, it does seem to be for some at least. A relatively seamless transition from peacetime to wartime. That it just also includes then um, leadership of that household in war. Um, but it's it does provide some really interesting examples. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a follow up question then. Um, so this is just one of my own questions. Is I get the sense that on the battlefield, although there are a few notable exceptions, it's mostly a male affair, right? Yes. And that would sort of be you know out armored, you know, weaponized soldiery. But it seems like women have an important part to play in castle defense. Um, would that would that have been considered a, a wartime duty of a of a lady of a great house to defend the you know, sort of manage the, the guard and defend the castle? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it was. Um because I think again I think the the peacetime responsibilities that, that are associated with with noble women, you know that that control of the household, uh, that the the arrangement of of foodstuffs and and making sure that people are fed, um, that the the real relationships you'll have to develop with the the extended members of the household. Uh, I think that that does translate relatively neatly when the castle is then under siege. There mm. are similar responsibilities required of it. It's just in a very different scenario. Um, I mean, I think, again, we have to be slightly cautious about this because our, our historical accounts of these episodes are written by men and, and they're written in such a way as sometimes to, to reduce the agency or the involvement of these women in the siege. And, and you know, it, yeah, you don't example, want to shame the men. <laughs> That's no, no, exactly. Uh, well, absolutely not. And, sort and of that pri- example, primary motivation for writing history: just make the men look good. Absolutely. Uh, um, so that that example of of Eleanor de Montfort in Dover, her case is particularly interesting because the household accounts for her time there actually survive. For, for, for a decent chunk of the period in which she was there. And so you can see her ordering supplies for her, her garrison. You can see the acts that, the actions that she's taken in, in controlling the castle and, and, and ensuring its, its successful hmm. operation. Hmm. Um, so so that, that does suggest that these women were far more involved than you might assume them to be. And, and what, far more than our chronicles might suggest, our chronicles very often depict what these women are doing in very feminine ways, even if it's within the more masculine in inverted commas context of war. So that example I use of, of Agnes Randolph at Dunbar, when the English fire siege uh, uh, weapons at the castle, when a stone thuds off the castle wall, apparently Agnes sent out one of her maids dressed as a bride to dust off the spot at which it was at which the the stone hit the castle wall. And all of this is intended to antagonise the English. She, she's <laughs> she's she, she's using these these or she's being depicted as using these kind of feminine symbols uh-huh. to to piss off the English. She apparently also sends them supplies when the English are struggling with foodstuffs. And again, it's a it's a you know stuff you 
you we we've got plenty of food we can we can give some to you um you know so all, all of this is but 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 again this is how this is depicted and it doesn't necessarily mean it's how it is well just um, to, just to connect the dots for anyone that's listening so i guess one of the the main things that you would do with a siege is you would just wait wait the people on the inside out and part of the part of that game was just to try to wait long enough so that they'd run out of food supplies right you're trying to starve the people in the castle yeah yeah encirclement and, and starving them out would be a, a logical and so what she's doing is she's saying look we've got so much food yeah. you, you we, we can share yeah. it we'll even share yeah, it with our uh, enemies absolutely and it's it, it is just you know it, it is very deliberately goading the english <laughs> and, and agnes apparently sets up at one point to to try and capture the english commander william montague she she uh, asks for negotiations and and montague comes to to enter the castle for those talks and one of his knights pushes him out the way and says no, no my lord i'll go first uh, and he goes in and then the portcullis drops behind him and uh, and uh, agnes rather tauntingly said they've said adieu mr monsieur montague uh, uh, as, as she leads away his knight into captivity but it was very obviously a trap <laughs> to try and capture the english command <laughs>